It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello and welcome to the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges mindsets and paradigms that hold us back. This podcast can be heard on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and soon to come on Amazon and Audible. So we're really excited about that. Tonight I have with me a very special guest to discuss a topic that has been in the news a lot, um, and that's implicit bias, right? And I'm sure we can all relate to a time or two where we ourselves, um, whether we've been at the receiving end or the other side of, uh, of, of being implicitly biased. So I have with me Marilyn Markham, who joins us from New Jersey. Marilyn is the head of the Center of Excellence for Salesforce at American Express Global Business Travel. And uh, we're gonna be talking about this important topic, especially given the times we're in right now, and that is implicit bias. Marilyn, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast. Thank you for having me, Fred. My pleasure. So implicit bias, right? I'm sure, you know, it's, it's, it's the buzzword of the day, right? Everywhere you go, there are lots of initiatives. Suddenly it's become the top of uh, the agenda item for a lot of organizations right now. There's a lot of training going on to help understand what implicit bias is and trying to minimize it because there's a lot of things that's happened recently that's put this topic at the forefront. So how do we even define this implicit bias, right? What, what would you say it is if I were to ask that question? I would say that it's a set of beliefs uh, that are often unconscious uh, that we hold. And the way they manifest themselves is uh, that our brain is just lazy and takes a lot of shortcuts when making snap judgments or trying to reach a conclusion quickly. Uh, and it doesn't feel it has the time to start looking at all the facts and starting the story from the start. It just takes a lot of things it thinks it has learned from either experience, society, culture, education, um, and uses that to fast track um, some check marks and crosses uh, to reach a decision quickly. So it's really hard to, um, I would say, know what they are unless you're actually watching yourselves and checking, why did I make that decision? Why did I make that assumption? Where is this coming from? To realize, is it fair? Is it right? And that's when you start seeing the implicit bias that you know each of one of us holds. And this is something that every single person has. We all have implicit bias because life is short and the brain just needs to make decisions quickly sometimes. And, and I like the point you made very well defined uh, about the fact that we all have it, right? It's not me versus them. It's not an us versus them, right? It's something we all have. And, and as you rightly said, this is something that requires quite a bit of intentionality, right? Because we all grew up, um, you know, in different environments, different cultures, and there are some of these constructs that we pick up um, implicitly, right? Without even realizing that they're there. And until we come face to face um, with a situation that kind of challenges those mindsets and beliefs, we very rarely even know uh, that we actually have it. So it's, I think it's a very perfect definition that, that you give. And I can think of um, using my own self as an example, 
you know, I think if the question were to be posed, I'd be the first to say, ah, me, no, but gut checking myself and thinking throughout, you know, my, my, my life in different circumstances, I can point to a time or two when even I have um, actually displayed those traits. So I, I think it's important, but why now? Why do we think that this subject all of a sudden is getting a lot of press, a lot of attention um, in the environment that we're living in today? I mean, I think that it all came really to a head uh, with the murder of George Floyd, um, which brought racism to the forefront of our collective consciousness. Um, I know that for a big chunk of the population, it was always forefront, but it wasn't always the case for everybody. And when we start discussing race, um, I think that there's a lot of inflammatory language that is used to describe people who have racist behaviors and they get called racist as an insult, when in fact racism is often the result of implicit bias that people hold. It's not an intentional thing. It's not because they're mean-spirited. It's because we are in the soup of beliefs and thoughts about Black people, in this case, uh, that actually the problem with implicit bias is that if the people who make power decisions who are in places of influence and power in society and businesses and families have implicit bias against a population, say black people, and they make policy decisions and other decisions with that bias, it can have terrible outcomes for that population. It's loads of small drops of water that become behaviors that become beliefs and systems that put us in the state we are in when it comes to black people. And as we bring up black people and say, you know, black lives matter, um, we do hear the echo of other minority groups saying, how about us? We matter too. And it's not to discredit the black people, it's actually a rallying cry to say, if you feel that you don't always matter to everyone, it's time to also claim the fact that you matter. And we're all seeing that all of these discriminations have a root cause in bias, in sometimes ignorance. And often, like I would like to believe in humanity that we're not all willfully mean people, mm -hmm. but on the contrary, we're, we try and be good people and we get blindsided by the socialization effect of yeah. where we've grown up, what we've learned, who we hang out with, yeah. what we listen to. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting um, that, that you mentioned that at the core of, of racism, right? I mean, sometimes we will look at it, we look at racism and, and we think that's it, but it's important to peel back a little bit to see exactly what is at the, at the core, right? Or what's the root cause of it. And we, you rightly mentioned that, that an implicit bias is one of these things. And I, I remember um, an incident that happened. This was maybe years ago. Um, we had hired a contractor to do some work um, to replace a window um, in a house. And, you know, obviously this, you know, this guy was white. He came in and uh, took the measurements and a week went by and I hadn't heard from this guy. And so I was starting to wonder, 
um, what had happened. And he called one time and then he got a hold of me. I was home at that time and he apologized that he had been calling the house um, this whole time. But then for some reason, the, the voice on the entering machine that he had been getting uh, didn't seem or didn't match the description of who he thought this person was. And, and I'm not, I wasn't sure what to make of it. Uh, he said it quite anecdotally um, to explain or to justify why he, or why I hadn't got a hold of him. But in his own mind, right, um, the voice that he expected to hear on the entering machine was different from what he, from, from what he heard. And I, I thought about it for a while and I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is bias at its highest level. I mean, I didn't take offense because um, he, he didn't mean it that way, but it, it it struck a chord. And I wonder, you know, how many of these types of things are existent, whether, you know, um, in the workplace or, or wherever, right? Or in the communities, in our professional associations where we all have in our minds a checklist, right? That we expect the people we work with, whether it's a friend or, or colleagues or whoever, uh, to check. And if they don't check that box, then we start to react in a certain way. I thought this was a real eye opener um, that that this happened. But anyway, we laughed over it. He came in and you know he he um, he fixed the window and that was it. But there are so many of these things that are that are at work. And and how, how do we start undoing some of these biases? And and this guy, I mean, I he probably grew up or maybe in his mind this is how he expected a certain group of people to sound like. And so the moment he felt like I didn't check that box in his mind, there was a, there was a disruption, right? And I wonder how many of these things are at play even in the workplace today. Oh, I, I think this is pretty widespread. Um, I have a sort of similar story. It was my first um, job in the telecom industry because I'm a telecoms engineer by mm -hmm. training. And I was interviewing with one of the major telecom companies in France where I grew up. And um, on paper, um, I would say my name is white passing. Marilyn Markham doesn't sound black, whatever that may mean. Yeah. Um, we had spoken on the phone uh, twice. Uh, she had read my CV, but at no point in time did we exchange pictures I mean, this was back in the early 2000s, okay? And the final step of the recruitment process was to have kind of a formal uh, meetup, just basically for the handshake and to sign contracts and to say I've met the person before she comes in. And I was waiting in the reception area. I see this lady walk in, look around the room. I was the only one there. Go to the receptionist and say, I thought you said Marilyn was here. And the receptionist is like, yeah, that's her. And I was like, yeah, it's me. It's a small room. I could hear everything. And she was just so taken aback. On the last day of my interview, she confessed that she had always just thought, assumed that I was your typical French girl, you know, that I was petite, I was a brunette with like green or blue eyes, freckles, white skin. And I am tall, I'm a bigger lady, I'm black. And she just didn't think that was an option. Mm. And she said that she decided to go ahead with um, the hire because, well, first of all, I fit the bill. Mm -hmm. And she actually was hoping to have a woman come in 
to challenge the all-male team she was placing me in for this internship. And she realized that she actually had an opportunity to challenge them with the double whammy of a black female. So in this case, it was, I would say, positive action from the recruiter that she wanted someone competent, but she did want someone different mm -hmm. to bring some diversity and a different perspective to the team. Um, I didn't feel so good about it when she told me because I felt like, oh great, I was yeah. a social experiment. Yeah. Thank God that went well. Yeah. Um, but the outcome is that it allowed a whole team and a recruiter yeah. to now have a different perception of a black person because they just had never worked with a black person before. Yeah. And they thought, and this is where implicit bias comes from, that somehow I would be less qualified, yeah. that I would be lazy on the job. Um, there are certainly many other beliefs that are kind of adjacent to that. But as a recruiter, when you have a pile of um, CVs or, uh, yeah. that you have to read through, yeah and you start reading names and addresses, what is the snap judgment that, that we make, that yeah. we all make yeah. in filtering through someone who would be, this is gonna be all air quotes, mm -hmm. cultural fit. Yeah. Are we looking for cultural fit or are we trying to inject a bit of diversity and somebody different? Because if you only take the same people who fit who are the same as all the others, it's predictable. Yeah. And yeah. we're all looking for safety. Yeah. So work, it's everywhere. Yeah. That's an interesting story. I mean, I, obviously you were hired, right? Yeah. So how, 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 how did that impact your, 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 your ability to, to, to feel safe, right? I mean, on the team, knowing that, I mean, kudos to her for admitting that this is exactly what was going right. I mean, she, I mean, not everyone shares this, but I think that's really how we, we fight or we, we challenge these things. You've got to, uh, intentionally confront right your own your own constructs or your own mindset and I applaud this um, hiring manager for taking this bold step but I think the challenge that this presents um, unconsciously I think there's the downstream impact as well for a lot of people because knowing or, or haven't gone through this experience now you know that there's a real tendency right that this happens or actually that this happens and so I wonder you know, how many people now who were minorities applying for jobs or even giving names to their kids, right? Knowing fully well that there's a tendency for their kids to be discriminated against, one based on, based on the names that they have, right? And, and so we end up creating, you know, a whole crisis, right? Um, uh, on the backside of this. How, so how did you manage to, to thrive on that team knowing that this was a, a, a real challenge, right? Having gone through the, the hiring process in of itself. Well, she's clever in that she only told me this on my last day of internship. So I didn't know during the internship that this was a thing, but with hindsight, I now understood why it was so hard to get, to feel like I belonged to the team. Mm. Um, it was very intangible, but it, it just felt a lot of hard work to get people to listen to what I had to say, um, to even get meaningful work to do, um, and, and to have my questions, you know, not mansplained to me, but just answered. Yeah. And, and I wonder how, 
we 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 combat this right because this is this is this is a real problem here um, in a lot of workplaces and, and and thanks to organizations that are now suddenly you know starting to kind of putting you know uh, processes and procedures to help fight this or to help mitigate what 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 happens in the workplace every day but i mean given your your experience you, you've traveled worldwide i mean you've worked in several multinational organizations um, in your role you've you've served on you've served on a number of diversity groups but how, how does one fight this right i mean not fight in the sense of you know going to war but how do we kind of start deconstructing some of these strong mindsets that exist um in, in the workplace based on your experience and, and what you've had so, to do um, in the past? I've been looking into this a little bit and um, one way to do it is to actually have a systemic way of um, blinding or blindfolding people. So HR systems now do offer options to remove the name, remove uh, gender, uh, to not ask about uh, orientation, not ask about religion, all those different things that people, um, you know, categorize as minority groups. If you don't know about it, because humans tend to, you know, expect the best all the time, you will probably read through the CV assuming it's the most favorable and then just look at the objective experience that's on paper. So that's one way. Um, if you, you can't be blindfolded, and anyway, there's going to come at a point where you have to meet someone. Having other diverse people as part of the panel of selection can sometimes lead to really interesting conversations because others can say, why did you dismiss them? Because I actually thought they were really good. It's so strange. We were in the same room. We heard the same thing. Yet your perception is so different from mine. And if we're, able, if we're open to having that honest conversation with a panel of others, I think that sometimes you can catch yourself and be like, whoa, what just happened? Did I truly just believe that? And I think that it's, it's really interesting if, if that can happen because it's a great opportunity to grow with others. Um, beyond that, I think it's also just a very conscious effort to to ask yourself why mm -hmm. you made that decision. It's harder because you, you don't always realize it's a decision. There's just an outcome. And, and so that's, that's really hard. But I think community diversity and uh, having systemic ways, I think everything put together with some education will, will really help um, reduce, I would say, the impact of implicit bias. I don't think it's possible to like negate it entirely because is just how the brain works. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think that first step, um, it it always starts with us. I mean, I we, I'm sure we can come up with countless and countless um, stories of of how we um, may have experienced this. But I, I recall another story, um, uh, where again, <laughs> I, I was on the receiving end. Uh, I was working with this you know brokerage company, and I started working with this client over the phone, and we started this whole process over the phone. Uh, for a week or so, and this client had to come in into the office to sign some paperwork. Um, and so this was a, a black person, by the way, African-American. Um, and so they, you know, came in, I, I got a call that, you know, had a client up front. So I walk into the reception and this client is sitting there with his wife and he, he just couldn't help himself. The first thing that came out of his mouth was, oh my God, he's black. And it was so audible. <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't even trying to hide it, right? I mean, we all, 
kind of went that way. And then, you know, we all just laughed. But anyway, but it was interesting how he also had, you know, in his mind, you know, an impression of who I was, right? And so I show up and you could tell the shock on his face because I didn't check, you know, the box, right? Or the mental picture that he had in his mind. But, and, and that goes to say that this is, that goes to prove that this is really not, you know, you know, pitting one race against the other. It's something that we all have. And we all need to start asking ourselves that question, deconstructing some of these limiting mindsets and beliefs, right? That we've grown up with, and, you know, however many years, but I think that's really where we start with the workplace now becoming so diverse, right? It's, I think leaders cannot afford to operate on those mindsets anymore, right? I mean, you can't afford to, to be a good leader, to win the trust of your people, to create that psychological safety in the workplace. I think leaders of today, the 21st century leader, um, needs to start. And this is something that, it, it's not something that we just train, you know, three day or two day or maybe mm -hmm. a half day workshop. This is something that has to be ingrained because it yes. takes years, right, to build these or to form these mindsets. It's not, it's not going to take, it's not enough to take someone through a half a day workshop, a full day workshop, and expect them to deconstruct everything that they've learned for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years even, right? And I think therein, lies the challenge right and i know there's budgets and things like that they are all this you know strategic initiatives but i do believe that for the organization any organization really uh to to be ahead of this thing it has to be part of the strategy it has to be ongoing i mean do you do you agree that this is something that is not a it's just not a nine-day wonder um, yes absolutely yeah. i think it's it's really important to um, to take diversity, inclusion, and belonging topics and treat them in the same way as we do compliance and ethics. Uh, these things are drummed into us and the awareness is kind of revived at least at minimum on a yearly basis. But because this is very cultural and affects things all the time, I feel that um, we need to first of all make sure that people understand it's each individual responsibility to check our own bias it's not the diversity group over there who needs to bring awakening to the enterprise each one of us in our jobs have to check ourselves and that's because when you're the hiring manager you're making decisions when you're the buyer you're also making decisions and assumptions about those businesses you're approaching. If you're the salesperson, when you walk into a room to sell whatever you're selling to the team, you make assumptions based on who's in the room with you and the type of company. It's not just gender, race, and everything. It's even bias against whole industries um, of whether they're honest or not. It's bias against whole countries whether you know, they, they've got issues or not. Um, it's, it's really important that it's, a, it's kind of at the forefront of our minds. If we're trying to be better people, this is a key way to become a better global citizen, is to realize that you just don't know and you're fallible and you should be open to learning but it is, it is, is work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it is, it is a lot of work. It, it is a lot of work. And, 
Um, I think whoever, I guess, is on that receiving end, right? Whether it's it's uh, you know your your accents being made fun of for, and, and I, I get that a lot. Um, you know, I, I go places, and the first question I, I hear is, you know, where, where are you from, right? Yeah. And 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 I almost know, you know, that it's 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 the first question that I'm going to get. Uh, but this can be. Um, a confidence buster for a lot of people, right? Whether it's in the workplace or, and we all have accents, right? Whether you're from the United States, Japan, wherever, we all have accents. But if, if you are made to feel like you're the outsider, right? Because yeah. your accent or the way you say certain words don't fit in, then it becomes a problem. So I'd imagine there's got to be some level of, of confidence really um, on your part or whoever is on the receiving end to overcome that initial challenge. I mean, I have friends who are immigrants, uh, some of who just can't seem to, to fit in. I mean, there are some who just um, have gotten their confidence, you know, so shattered because of uh, an experience, you know, or the other, you know, they say something and, you know, they're, they're, they're made fun of it. And I think this is really where the education comes in, right? Even in our schools, what are we teaching our kids? I think it's, it's we've got to, not only in the workplace, because if we're, if we're not including this in the curriculum, our kids are going to grow up, right? And they're going to start forming these mindsets and it may be too late. So I think it actually starts, you know, with, with our kids. I have young kids and we, we have these kinds of conversations, right? The fact that someone doesn't look like you, the fact that someone doesn't sound like you does not make them any more inferior or superior. They're just different and that's who they yeah. are, right? But, but embracing diversity, I think really, start start in our schools and i i mean my, my my thoughts on that would you would you agree yeah i was it's funny you mentioned this i was watching um this youtube video i was down the the youtube rabbit hole and there was an a japanese advert by the skincare company sushido and they went to a japanese school and they asked the kids what color is skin tone and skin tone is a definite word i think the english translation would be what color is nude and the kids had a palette of colors crayons in front of them and they had to point to what color is nude and i think if i ask you what color is nude you'd probably peach, point to something that looks a bit peachy pinky white pale mm -hmm. yellowish yeah. beiges but skin tone color and nude that's not your skin tone. It's not mine. And actually skin tone or nude is not one color. It's as diverse as there are people in the world. And so what they did is um, they, they brought a camera and photographed each one of the kids and created a, a, a crayon palette. And instead of writing the color nude on the pen, they said Fred's color. Hmm. Marilyn's color, Jeremy's color. And then they encouraged the kids to take the pen. First of all, the kids loved that they had a, a color that represented their exact skin tone. And when they said, go ahead and draw a picture of your best friend in this classroom, they picked a different color and then did an accurate representation of that child. And it was really empowering for the kids yeah. to see that I am different, but it's still pretty. I still made a picture. They see my color. They're yeah. not color blind to me, but seeing my color doesn't prevent them from appreciating me yeah. and thinking I'm acceptable. 
I'm pretty, yeah. I'm intelligent, all the other attributes. And I thought that was such a cool experience with kids to try and teach them to see color yeah. and to appreciate diversity. That, that, that's where it starts. That, that's really where it starts. And, and I think schools, you know, have to be intentional, right? I mean, of course, those that want to, to get ahead of this, that, that is, but uh, I think it really starts there. But I mean, this, this, you know, diversity inclusion thing, this thing has been around since the 1960s, okay. right? I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a new concept. So, so I wonder if it's been around for such a long time, why is it still, why, why is it still a challenge? Why does it still remain a challenge for, for a lot of organizations? I mean, we, we, I mean, obviously it's not going away, right? I mean, there, I feel like there is every now and then there is an event or something that happens that triggers that bring attention. We kind of jump on the bang bandwagon for a little bit. We make some noise about it and it goes away and something happens again. Why, why is it so cyclical? Why, why does it still remain a problem in your opinion? It's human nature. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just human nature. And the reason why it's cyclical is because, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, it causes us to make decisions. And these decisions and behaviors snowball. And when the snowball becomes as big as the Ku Klux Klan or as big as watching a man who paid with a check that bounced get killed by someone who doesn't seem to care that he's killed somebody. It's not okay when you see that innocent people who are sleeping in their beds get shot mm. because of it. It's, it's when it be, the outcomes become scandalous to us that suddenly it pops back up to the top of the pile and it's like, we got to do something about this. And, and the problem is, because it's a cycle, you've already seen that the news cycle has dipped, right? News mm -hmm. sells sensationalism. Things that are the same for weeks on end are not sensational anymore. Mm -hmm. They're just boring. But hopefully this social, this revolution we're in right now of saying, you know, racism has to stop because the price is just too high. Mm -hmm will help us to maybe keep this at the forefront and maybe make some long-lasting systemic changes yeah. to how we operate as a society. And hopefully the cycle doesn't lead us to another terrible incident like the one we just witnessed. Yeah. But the problem is, yeah, it's not new. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not going yeah. away. I, I agree. Yeah. And I think we all have to get into that mindset right that that is it starts it starts with us if every one of us can say it starts with me you know then we can stop pointing you know the accusing fingers at the other person if we all can take that responsibility if corporations can be socially responsible if we can take that ownership and realize that we all are susceptible um to 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 being implicitly biased right to put it that way I think that's really when it started. I mean, when this whole thing, I had to go pay for, um, for a course to become a licensed diversity and inclusion trainer. Not because I needed it for work necessarily, but I felt like in order to be able to be a part of the solution, I needed to do everything that, that I, I needed to do to help either educate other people, to help my own kids understand um, you know, how pervasive this can be, 
um, and to become a better well-informed citizen or an employer or, 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 or manager really for that matter. I have a very diverse team and, and I remember going through the hiring process for, I had to go beyond uh, the, the familiar. It was very comfortable for me to pick, handpick people who I felt, you know, were cut out, but I had to go beyond what I thought was familiar and then, and look at other people. And that was one of the best the decisions that I made as a, um, as a leader at that point, and I have no regrets about it. So I think going beyond that comfort level, stepping outside of what feels normal, right? Challenging the, our own constructs and, 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 and being open, really, I think is really how we start moving the needle. Because if we want to stay, you know, um, in our own little cocoon or bubble, then we're not going to be able to put in any bent, right, in this thing. Oh. So I think really that's really where the challenge is for whoever may be listening, whether you're a leader in the workplace, whether you're a team player. It starts with us. We can't always blame the other person. Yes, what they may be doing may be blatantly wrong, but what role do we have if we had to check our own selves? Do we have a part to play? Have we ever exhibited some of these traits ourselves one way or the other? How do we change. So I think ownership really starts with us. And that's why it's called ownership. We have to own uh, our piece of it. And I really think that's, that's how, it, that's how it, it's really going to change. Because if we keep expecting someone to change or a corporation to change the rules, I think we're always going to keep finding ourselves in this, in this situation. And I'd like Actually. to, I totally agree with that. Um, I'd like to add something that I, I've heard recently, um, as I was looking more into um, leading the Black Lives Matter um, movement at work. And one thing that came in hot and strong was the feeling of shame. And there's really no place for shame if we're hoping that society will change. The thing is, shaming others is never okay. So that's, that's a given. But feeling shame when someone talks about bias because you realize that I did that, I said that is also not always helpful. You know, we need to pivot it from shame, which helps us to kind of lock down and protect ourselves and be like, I'm better than this. I am not who you say I am. And then go into denial to actually distance yourself from the thing that has happened a little bit and realize that we're all the products of the society we've grown up in, our environment and everything. When you exhibit a behavior, you are not the behavior. Mm -hmm. It's a behavior. You get to change it. Mm -hmm. So if you've said something, if you've thought something, if you've done something, that with a little hindsight or someone bringing it to your attention, you realize is biased, whether that bias is called racism, sexism, whatever, homophobia. All the, all the isms, right? All the isms and the eas. <laughs> then instead of protecting yourself, just say sorry yep. and, and take the lesson. It is not a time for shame. Shame doesn't help anybody. And I think that's where the ownership comes in again, right? Um, if we, it's, it's very easy to discount it, um, especially if it's, if it's um, in a place where it's, it's the norm, it's accepted, right? That's, that's the status quo. It, it becomes a little bit of an uncomfortable position for someone to confront that. But to your point, I think that's really where we start to, to make a difference. We, we got to own it. We got to, you know, it really doesn't matter whether you're, you're a leader and real leaders are the ones who 
accept accept um, accept their their faults. I mean, it's very easy for the leader to blame someone else or refuse not to. Right? It's a power play, but um, humility. I think that's really what servant leadership is all about, right? But being humble enough to admit that, look, I. I, I, I don't got it. I know that's wrong English, right? I'm saying that on purpose. But I, yes. sometimes we think we, we got it, but we don't got it, right? No. We, we don't have it together. Um, it, I, as a leader, I welcome that. I, I welcome that discourse. I empower my teammates to, to, to challenge me on something. So I don't always dish out rules and regulations. I may come up with the idea, I present it, and I welcome the discourse. I, I welcome the, 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 the different perspectives. And that's how come... Um, I have a strong team because I'm open to these ideas. And by so doing, I'll empower my teammates to know that they have a voice. It's not what Fred says. It's what the team decides to do. So even if I know the answer, I have, it's the visionary, right? Here's where I'm thinking, what do you think? We work together as a team and together we all succeed, right? We're stronger right. that way. So, so yes, I think becoming um, uh, uncomfortable with what's comfortable is, is, is the way to go, whether you're a leader, whether you've been in your role for however many long, how many, however many letters you have, um, or how far high you are on that totem pole. It starts with us, right? So I, I do agree with you um, that it's, it's really about ownership um, for, for all of us. I do yeah, agree. And, and just to bounce on what you were saying, you know, wherever you are in the leadership, but also whether you're a woman, and you're judging other women, whether you're a man and you're looking at other men, whether you're black and you're looking at other black people, it bias does not, is not a respect of person. I grew up in a mostly white environment in France. Um, I have caught myself having bias against black people and catching myself and going like, why do I think that? That's so weird and actually actively changing the thought process once it's brought to my consciousness. And the same thing will happen to women who judge other women. And you know, whether we use, you know, women suffer from so many biases, whether you expect every woman should be a mother and should be mothering, and this woman is quote unquote, now we're gonna call her selfish. Whether you think women should be kind and gentle and this one is assertive, but you're going to call her bossy. Those are, those are things that I do. And I catch myself and I'm like, no, she's not bossy. Actually, she's being assertive. Because if she was a guy and she did that, mm -hmm. I'd probably think, ooh, look, in charge. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. let's, you know, let's bring ourselves down a, a peg and mm -hmm. just be humble. We can all exhibit bias in what we do bias that you are not going to be proud mm -hmm. that you have but if you see it and you admit it then you can correct it yeah absolutely I, I couldn't agree with you more and as we kind of wrap this up here uh we could we could go at this for 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 a long time but um any any final thoughts i mean i i definitely have one um as a as a as a faith person there's always i mean i there's always some wisdom that i find um from 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 reading the bible and there's one um from Galatians 3.28, that, that says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, uh, nor is there male and female, right? For we all one um, in Christ. And I think if we start to, not to be overly spiritual here, but if we start to see each other as, as one, right? Regardless of color, regardless of background, we may disagree on certain tenets, but if we start to see 
ourselves as one, the human race, right? Not the white race, not the brown race, not the whatever race, but as the human race. If we try to see things from that perspective, I think that really, you know, starts the healing process, right? And it's, um, it's, it's all about love. I may not see eye to eye with you. I, I may not, you know, agree with you on a lot of things, but, uh, but I love you. I, I love humanity. And if we can start to let love um, uh, prevail, I think we can start to see the healing that, that we need. It's not in the policy. It's not in the procedures. Those are important. Yeah. But I think, again, it goes back to our role in it. If we can start to, you know, see each other, you know, and treat each other with respect, um, I, I, think, I think that will go a long way to start healing, um, you know, or bringing healing into the society. So that's, that's, that's my final thought. Um, and I, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you chime in with yours as we bring this to uh, toward, toward I'm going to bounce on your final thought. Uh, and play the other side of the coin because life is often a balance. Yeah. Um, God also created each one different. Yeah. So in the Christian message, there's often intention and in balance, this unity we have as the human race. And mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And I think that unity is really important when looking at things that don't actually require you to look at anything else whether it's salvation, we're all one, we are all fallen, uh, we've, we've all done wrong. If it's work, you, we should also look at each other equally because we're looking at, at objective competencies and performance and promise. Um, so, but then at the same time, when we look at each other and what we bring to the table, um, I'm a product uh, strategist as, as a profession, um, and for me, it's really important that there are different people who yes. bring different perspectives to the table Yes. because I need to be representing the interests of those who will use my products. And if there is no one in the team who is, say, a woman in business travel, I may not address um, duty of care for women who travel because actually they're exposed to different dangers than men who travel. Or if I'm creating travel policies and in my mind, all the people around me are men, then I may not have heard from them about the need for childcare when you travel because maybe they do have a spouse and they have a backup. But when you're the woman, even in today's evolved world, and we're seeing it even more now that COVID is forcing uh, families to pick someone who's going to stay home with the kids mm. and someone who's going to be able yeah. to work uninterrupted. You see that women take the lion's share yeah. of childcare and house yeah. chores in addition to their work. But if I have no women at the table, who's going to tell me yeah. you need a travel policy that includes a clause and compensation mm. for alternative arrangements around running the home when the woman is out and the man is maybe not there, not capable, not willing, not traditionally the one doing those things that she would. So yes, we're all one, but we're also uniquely present with our unique message and experience to contribute to the enrichment of the dialogue, whatever the situation we're in.
That is such a powerful point. Marilyn, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast. These are very timely lessons, and I, I trust that whoever is watching or listening to this uh, podcast has gotten something out of this, right, that you can either implement for yourself or uh, in your workplace or wherever you may be. But um, yes, we're, we're one, but then we're all different. And if we start to embrace uh, that difference or that diversity of thought, of ideas, of the human race, then we become stronger together. So again, thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Time with Fred podcast. And until next time, stay well.